Hey now, and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And I'm Mark. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of the Orville. Except sometimes we go off on side missions where we talk about other Orville-related things. Today we'll be discussing the graphic novel Launch Day, which was written by David A. Goodman with art by David Cabiza and Michael Atia. Before we talk about that graphic novel, we have some new reviews. Yay! It's so good to be back! It's been a bit, so we've had time to have some reviews submitted. Very excited to read them. Our first one comes in from MC Hammer Bro, who says, As a listener and contributor to shows on the Geek Generation Network, Quantum Drive is what brought me to the Orville. After a few episodes, it became part of my weekly routine to watch an episode or two and then listen to the podcast to really dig deep into what I was watching. It's been a great way to catch up with the series and get well acquainted with the universe as we all prepare for the arrival of season three. Say it with me now. In, in the, the future. future. I'm excited for season three, too. I cannot wait for it to finally be here. The book got me so stoked. Yeah, the Orville community has been crying out loudly for season three, and we understand the delays. Mm-hmm. Yep. But we're still super excited. There was important things kind of happening in the world, so it makes sense. You know, <laughs> a few things. it's going to take a little time. <laughs> yeah. The second review comes in from Jessica Barton, who says, Nobody else I know watches the show, unfortunately, so it's really nice to get some other perspectives on these episodes. Quantum Drive is a really well-done podcast. Katie and Rob clearly take care to look at the Orville objectively and ask good questions about the show, which gives the content an interesting and fun edge. I love listening after I watch the episodes for the trivia, too. Trivia is one of my favorite parts as well, so that makes me happy to hear. Plus, it's cool. We get to be like your Orville buddies watching along with you. And that was kind of our plan from the beginning, wasn't it? Yeah. It's worked out then. We've done what we set out to do. (laughs) Wow. If you would also like to leave us a review, you can go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. And when we come back with new episodes... We hope to have a whole bunch waiting for us. That would be incredible, and I would not be upset about it. You can also email us by sending a message to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can follow us on Twitter at quantumdrivepod. You can join the Discord at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord to talk about the show and the podcast in our Quantum Drive channel. And if you'd like to listen to Mark's alternate one-sentence reviews and some of our bonus podcasts, you can support the show on Patreon at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. It's been a minute since we've done this that I kind of <laughs> forgot about Mark's alternate one-sentence <laughs> reviews. I'm so excited to do more. It's a treasure trove. I know. And Mark's here today. Exactly. Yay, I'm here. Woo! We let Mark out for the uh, yeah. graphic novel episodes. <laughs> Just the graphic novels. Though. Normally, we limit him to one sentence. <laughs> yep. I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> Today, you may have paragraphs, Mark. Whoa. <laughs> and now he's on one word. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so hopping into the graphic novel launch day, just like the last one, is split into two separate stories. So first, the story launch day itself. A flashback to 20 years ago on board the science vessel Bohr sees Ed and Gordon saying farewell to Esel, an Alabarian who's returning home because the government of his homeworld has decided to leave the Union. Back in the present, the Orville intercepts a fleet of eight Krill vessels en route to the Alabar system. 
They inform the Orville of their mission to destroy what they suspect is a massive weapon that they've been constructing for years. With only two days to investigate before the Krill attack, Ed and Kelly go undercover on Alabar to seek answers, while John and Gordon attempt to investigate the weapon itself and determine if it's a threat. Ed and Kelly find a decrepit version of the civilization that once was and learn about Launch Day, an event that will remove the threat of outsiders from entering Alabar. Meanwhile, John and Gordon enter the weapon to find that it's not a weapon at all, but the biggest quantum reactor they've ever seen. Its purpose is to serve as a quantum shifter, which will transport the Alabar system to their own pocket universe. Ed warns the Krill fleet not to pursue, but they don't listen. As the Orville exits the system, Alabar and the Krill fleet are transported by the quantum shifter, which is destroyed in the process. With nowhere else to go, the Krill fleet sets its sights on Alabar to satisfy the will of Avis. All right, before we dive into talking more about the story, there's a little bit of trivia that we can share with you about this specific comic. So if you're reading it, you can see that Kermit is not on the desk in Ed's office, and Goodman had alluded to copyright problems with displaying Kermit outside of the television show, which if you do anything on the internet, you're very familiar with copyright and how it can cause a lot of problems. So I'm yeah. sad that Kermit wasn't on the desk, but you know, he's at least on the show, which I think is important to me. I love the Muppets. Yeah. yeah the fact that they got him on the show at all is impressive. I know. And I know that Seth MacFarlane loves the Muppets. So it makes me happy that Kermit's in the future as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> also artist David Cabeza's last name is in the panel where Ed and Kelly run away from a shopkeeper. It is hidden in a sign above a broken window. So if you're reading this, keep your eyes peeled for that little Easter egg. Yeah, I took a look for it and it looks like it's part of an alien language. It's not blatantly there. You can yeah. see it in there if you kind of look around the different things that were added to it. He snuck it in there, though. Oh, That's yeah. kind of cool. Like as an artist, you'd be like, I'm just going to put my, yeah, my name like in that. this. <laughs> yeah. Just get in there. All right. So let's hop into the story. So some initial thoughts. What do we think of this one? I really liked it. I mean, it's like every episode of the Orville where it has some like twists and turns throughout it. But the beginning of it at first, I was like, is that really young Ed? And then I was like, holy crap, that's young Ed. And then the fact that they team up with the Krill I literally was reading it and I made a sound audibly that was like, what? Because that's, you know, they're teaming up with the Krill to figure out what's going on. Well, one of the interesting things here is that when we read the last graphic novel, we were already finished with watching through all of season two. So we were mm -hmm. going back in time to fill in some of the gaps between season yeah. one and two. But this time, this is the first look we have of anything canonically post season two and there was the teasing of a treaty with the krill there so this is a continuation of that kind of agreement yeah i kind of love that we're reading this before season three comes out instead mm -hmm. of like time traveling a bit with it so it has kind of tided me over a bit before season three and given me more like mark said excitement about season three coming but also just that little hit that i need of because i've been missing the orville since yeah. I mean, the podcast and the show. So this is a nice way to fill in that gap until we get season three. Agreed. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, some of the stuff in it that the reason it got me excited for season three was they used that. I don't know what it's called, but the cloaking technology mm -hmm. stuff. And I was like, oh, does that mean they're going to do even more of it in season three? And maybe like in the book, not just Krill and become other alien races to go on undercover missions. I thought that was really cool. 
And like one of the things that was funny to me is they had one scene with Fortis and Clyden having dinner. And mm. oh, yeah, it was just funny to me because I was like, well, just reminding me, I still don't like Clyden. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, also, I, yeah, I was like, wow, they're really putting it in there. Like Clyden is just negative Nancy. And does not like the union. <laughs> it doesn't like what Bordis does. Yeah. And they're arguing in front of uh, the little one. How yeah. could they? Yeah. Clyden yeah. continues to be the worst saying no one is innocent. <laughs> like, what oh, do you I mean? Know. No one is innocent. What about your kid that's sitting right in front of you? <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. He almost made a few good points, but then he would take it just a little too far. Yep, and it's like, oh, yeah, no. classic okay. Clyden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something I noticed that made me think of you, Katie, was when they're heading down to Alabar in the shuttle, Ed and Kelly were standing up behind the oh. seats. And I was like, even in the books, they're still standing. Well, that's a Rob thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's you a were, Rob yeah, thing. Oh, that, oh, yeah, that was <laughs> Rob. Rob was more upset about that than me. Okay. But it's true. Like, they literally just stand when there's plenty of good seats to be had. <laughs> Someday we'll find out why. Someday. <laughs> Maybe they sit a lot. They're like, I just got to keep circulation going. It just seems dangerous, though. Like, you should be buckled in. Yeah. Landing on a planet. I just feel like that's the logical thing to do. Part of it is absolutely that. The other part is like, there are perfectly good chairs behind you. <laughs> just sit down. I know. I would feel crowded as the pile. Like, I'm trying to do my job here. <laughs> yeah, it's like your boss looking over you yes. while you're working. Yeah. It's It's very much that. But... I have to say, I loved there was future fashion in this as well. There was some future fashion. I was kind of digging it. I was like, I like how, like Mark was saying, the cloaking technology. I can't. It wasn't the what was that called? The shuttle's cloak? Not the shuttle's cloak when they um, cloak their bodies. Oh, like the holographic emitter? Yes. What they do to like create the illusion that they were krill. But this itself, I like these aliens look really cool. Mm, I like the way that they look. They're almost like fish like in a way. Yeah. And I don't think they use the holographic emitters here because they went to Med Bay and had Claire do something, which makes me think they did like the surgical procedures that they would have done in TNG. And I was pretty sure that almost all the time in the series, we've seen them use the emitters instead. Yeah, I think maybe it was implied because Claire says there are significant differences in the Alabarian biology. This disguise won't fool a scanner. So I'm thinking it's implied that they used the emitters. Yeah, I actually thought it wasn't because they went to the sick bay. And usually when they do that, at least in TNG, and maybe I'm just connecting the two too much. When they do that in TNG, it's always because they're doing a surgical procedure to like make them look like the alien. But then not without getting too far ahead in the next story in this book. They decide to wrap their heads when they could have easily just done their ears, which is mm-hmm. a much less complicated procedure. It's mm. maybe just a choice. Maybe. Like, yeah. I mean, this is very much a disguise that needs to be almost foolproof. Mm-hmm. I just assumed they use the emitters in this. Yeah, I had to. Is that what you meant earlier, Mark, by the cloaking yeah. thing? Yeah. yeah, I was thinking of the emitters. I mean, it could be because I don't think there's a precedent set for them ever using surgery in the series at all up to this point. I don't think so. Throughout the time, it seems like as soon as they discovered that technology, that was their go to. Yeah. Yeah. But the future fashion kind of love the look. Yeah. But also like the planet that they land on is just kind of in post-apocalyptic almost disarray. Yeah, it is falling apart. And I 
appreciated the dystopian type future of vibe of it. I, I was really excited about that. And I like how they're like, you're still using money. Like, yeah, that was kind of wild. But it was very much like our society, like the same kind of level of what we have now yeah. on Earth. I thought like this story specifically did what good sci-fi does in that there's so much that was clearly kind of a metaphor for maybe some real world things in the last few years. Oh, you think? And I just, yeah, I know. Maybe a little. <laughs> I just thought they did a really nice job of that. You know, all, all good sci-fi kind of goes, hey, here's presenting this idea. And then, you know, every now and then you get some people who go, wow, I never thought of it that way. Mm. I don't know. I, I appreciated that about the story of this. It did lean into it a little bit hard for my taste. Like, yes, this is clearly very blatant commentary on the Trump administration and mm. how they like stoke the fires of xenophobia. We have Pratt standing in as like the dictator type, a politician that somehow has maintained office for the past 20 years, which, wow, what a term. <laughs> yeah, he seems very paranoid and like, not a very stable leader no. for them. <laughs> no, not at all. But he's done the job that he wanted to do in getting everyone to be afraid enough so that they would just listen to whatever he said. But like Ed even mentions that they want to build a wall around their whole solar system. I'm like, wow, yep, that is that is right there. It is a little on the nose, but <laughs> I won't lie. I mean, it. I can see the parallels now. I wasn't even thinking about that when I was reading. Oh, it. wow. OK, no, that's all right. I was just engrossed in the story. Like, literally, I was gasping at things that were happening throughout it. So Just happy to be back. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yay, Orville stuff. <laughs> the quantum shifter gave me some Death Star vibes, just kind of with Same. the overall design of it. Also, it kind of looks like an eyeball. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> I liked how Ed continued his job of very poorly blending in with... <laughs> other alien races yes. and just like dine and dash and just all the different things he did that were kind of like wow and you would think by now you would like handle this a little better yeah and not talking vaguely enough being almost too specific <gasps> on things and then being like pret <laughs> oh the guy who's been in charge the last 20 years <laughs> launch day like it yeah. was very much like they did not i mean they couldn't do a lot of research but no. they didn't come up with names again before they even got there <laughs> constant running problem for them yeah what i was gonna say is that the death star vibe from the quantum shifter it almost kind of remind me of kalon technology a little bit too yeah similar color scheme mm -hmm. too yeah that, so when i first saw it i was like death star kalon hybrid and an eyeball which sounds super terrifying by the way yeah honestly it's not something i would ever want to see no. irl one of the things that kind of bumped into me as I was reading is I didn't notice a shift from day one to day two, yet somehow there was an overnight in there. There was. Down on the planet. They had two days to figure out what this thing was. They arrive on the planet the day before launch day and the story ends on launch day. And I'm like, wait, when did it change from the first day to the second day? And I didn't notice anything like that. It apparently happened while they were in the alley. That's the only time. You're right. Yeah. I think mm. I even noticed that, but I think my brain, like I do when I just canon things, I'm like, some, maybe someone got the date wrong. And so now it's actually launch day. Yeah, you're right. Because I said, oh, it's tomorrow. And then it was the next day. Yeah. Or do you think Pret just like maybe accelerated the plan just to get it going? He's just antsy. And announced it to everybody. It's now launch day. It was going to be tomorrow, but it's today. <laughs> 
I mean, he seems like the kind of dude who would do something oh, like that. Yeah. So even worse, he just gaslights him and says, "It was always today." What are you talking? Oh about? no, <laughs> I hate it. He seems like that dude. In both stories, I also noticed them saying "raise them" instead of "hail them" or "contact yes! them." I don't recall ever hearing them use that phrase on the show. The first time I saw it, I read it several times. I'm like, raise them. I'm like, all right, let's see. What are they raising? (laughs) Like they're raising shields. And then I was like, oh, they're hailing them. And then it kept coming up. And I'm like, this just means hail in this specific episode. Yeah. But yeah, that was different for me, too. Are we going to see them use raise them in season three? (gasps) Only if Josh Groban plays in the background every time (laughs) they do that. That's got to be a Josh Groban joke that is going right over my head. You have never heard the song You Raise Me Up? Oh, is that his song? You raise me up. Like that song? Sure. That's like a church song. That's his song. (laughs) I got to send Rob a YouTube video after this. (laughs) I feel like that was a deliberate choice, though, to use raise instead of hail. It feels like it. Yeah. And I'm wondering what that choice was. I'm just going to start using it in my real life. Be like, oh, I got to go. No, I'm, I'm stopping that though, sentence right, right there. <laughs> like, oh, can you raise up the doctor's office for me? Please? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll raise you later. Oh, oh gosh. It's, it oh. sounds strange. Yeah. Like, I understand it in the formal context they're using it. It's just not mm-hmm. what I was expecting. No, because I mean, I'm so every sci-fi uses hailing. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. every one of them. They're like, hail them. Maybe they're just trying to like, you know. Make fetch happen, except with Ray's. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Some of the stuff in this, I know I'm kind of going on a tangent now, but specific to like the comic book aspect of it. I know this is silly, but on the cover, all the white lettering is textured. So it feels different. Mm. And I'm like, ooh, nice little touch. Yeah. So all the names and the title and stuff. And uh, one of the other things that I noticed was For the first story, there's a lot of just everything stays inside the panels. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, you know, artists will get a little creative. In my head, I was like, oh, breaking the panel or something. I don't know what the proper term is. But the only times it happens in this first story are when the Orville is doing some like big maneuvers and things. It just kind of goes outside the panel just a little bit. And I thought that was a nice way of adding tension and action and everything that's just kind of little comic booky aspect that i was like cool because you can't pop the orville halfway out of the tv when you're watching the show or anything yeah it makes the limited space of the frame feel more open if you just break the barrier a little bit Mm -hmm. some of the art was epic too like the I can't remember the Krill captain's name, but the, the one of Krill, the Krill and the Bordis picture. And yeah. they're like facing off was really cool. Yeah. Oh, no, there's yeah. some great artwork in this. I know we yeah. talked about how good it was in the, the first issue and it's similar, but it feels even more detailed this time. They look mm-hmm. so much like their character. Like it looks so <laughs> much like the actors and just the characters in general. Yeah. Also, everybody's just ridiculously good looking. Like, it's just, it's unfair. Okay. We just need to be drawn is all. Yes. Yeah. If you, some, one of you could just draw me into your comics, I can feel. There we go. Like I belong. That would be, that would be the best, like, cameo. Just snuck into a comic. I need to be standing in the back of the shuttlecraft. And yeah. Not using a chair. <laughs> I think one of the things I thought was interesting is that they went 
to the register's office and was just like, hey, do you know this dude? And can you just tell me, you know, where to find him? And it was at first like, oh, you just told me a name that three million people have Mm. on this planet. But then it's like, you know, he worked for the union and she was just totally fine being like, sure, I'll go look it up. Like, wouldn't that raise some red flags? Probably. But on a slow day like that, she might not have cared. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she did say it was getting close to closing time. So you would think that she'd be not about that. But she was about that. It just seemed like that was a weird thing that Weissel's mom told the authorities. But why didn't the lady at the register Mm. do that? Good point. Uh, Fun fact, because at the very end, so when they do the like quantum shield kind of thing around their solar system or their planet. Mm -hmm. I like how first off the krill are just kind of like, well, this is the new normal. Let's go take them over. And they're just their commitment. Don't miss a beat. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Conquer. Yeah. And like in that, I just looking specifically there, the background art, kind of the nebulous stuff Mm. was just gorgeous. Like throughout Again, the art was great, but really all the space nebula stuff was cool. And my fun fact was that I didn't know that the plural for nebula is nebulae. Oh. Or nebulae. Nebulae sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) Nebulae does not sound right, but maybe it it is. it doesn't. I guess nebulas is also accepted, but I like the other better. Yeah, same. Speaking of the conclusion, how do we feel about it? Do we feel it goes in line with the rest of what this story was kind of portraying? It almost seemed a little bit like rushed. I don't know if rushed is the right way to put it. Mm-hmm. It just felt like a lot happened at once. And it was like they shifted. Then the krill are like going to take them out. But also, I will say like the krill, like without missing a beat, were just OK with not ever seeing their family again. Like that to me was so jarring because I'm like, well, they're just like, all right, we're just going to take over and I'm just not going to think about anything in my past. Mm. And I was like, can't relate. <laughs> just can't relate <laughs> to you, Krill. Meanwhile, there's probably one person on one ship that's like devastated. We just didn't get to see them. <laughs> I know. I feel like maybe it felt rushed because I didn't want it to end. And I think what I appreciate about it, it's very realist. Mm-hmm. Like that's what the show tends to do sometimes is it's very Okay, not everything worked out in the end. And I kind of appreciate that about the show because life isn't all, oh, well, we talked them out of it. And now the Krill are our best friend. And we also, they're back in the union. And so it's just, it's nice when stuff happens where it's like, okay, that didn't just get all tightly wrapped up in a box with a bow. Yeah, I don't Mm -hmm. recall the endings as much of the first two stories we read. But even between these two, they both feel kind of abrupt. And I think that's just a symptom of this presentation. They don't have a lot of time to work with. These issues go by pretty quickly. Yeah. I think what's nice about it, though, is it kind of leaves you wanting more. It does. Absolutely. It doesn't make me ever go like, oh, my gosh, this is almost done. Like, it makes me go, no, I don't want it to end, Mm -hmm. which I think speaks a lot to it because maybe that's part of the formula that works for this is because it's just it's almost not enough. Mm each time so you're like well i I could go for another one of these but it it gives me something to look forward to when the show isn't on on the air it's like reading an episode it literally feels Mm -hmm. like i'm watching the show except it's just a different format absolutely yeah the ending to me felt a little i don't know if it was counter to the message i was receiving from the rest of the story in that are the alabarians being proven right because this Mm -hmm. whole time they've been afraid of outsiders As soon as they're left alone with outsiders, those outsiders are going to invade them. 
Right. I think one of the things I appreciate about the comics in general, and these two are good examples of it, is there's like a philosophical Mm -hmm. question usually in them that you can like sit back and go like, oh, I see what they're doing. Like when we get to the next one, there's something in that as well. I mean, essentially, it was outsiders who interfered with their plan of just making themselves completely isolated. And it turned out that it didn't work out the way that they were hoping it would. Mm -hmm. However, I do wonder, like, if they had reached out and been like, hey, we're going to leave this universe. Like, would that have opened up problems as well? It's kind of people putting their nose where it doesn't belong. I'm surprised the union was allowed to do this. Like, I'm surprised they were interfering because the Krill were like, we're going to blow it up. Well, yeah. But the union getting involved was interesting to me. It's only because the Krill had to pass through union space that they had to at least see what was going on. And then once the suggestion of a weapon was made, they had to investigate yeah. just for their own safety. Just felt like a lot of gray areas. There are. And I think that's part of it. Yeah. Like, one could also say that the reason the outsiders came is because they were so afraid of outsiders. If they didn't build the quantum shifter, the krill don't come. They are left alone because I would love to know more about the rationale that Pret is putting forward. Like everyone's so afraid of outsiders. What have the outsiders done? Or is it just stoking fear? Like what is, I know they don't have time for this in the comic, but this is just where my brain goes. It's like, what was he saying? That got everyone so afraid that they would give up everything they had to go to a pocket universe. (laughs) Like they said, they're among us now. They're coming to get us. Who? What are they going to do when they get here? Like there's no details given. It's very cult like. It is. Which is upsetting in its own right. Because it's very much like you have to trust me wholly and completely. And Everybody else is bad, but we're the good guys. So let's just isolate ourselves more. Maybe Pret's just a giant narcissist and he just gets his goat yeah, <laughs> doing well, this. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> I think the the message is that he is just trying to maintain power through fear. Mm-hmm. It's the reason he's in office for 20 years. He has no agenda other than remaining in power. It's not even about outsiders. It's just about stoking enough fear that people keep listening to him and if he can separate them from the outside universe then that makes his power last even longer also it's awful because it does not seem like under his leadership he's really made everything better like clearly when they arrive on the planet it's real food it's not synthesized Mm -hmm. food it's just stuff that's not heard of anymore it is like kind of upsetting because it's like People blindly, it's just very cold, like nature, just following someone till the bitter end because you're like, you're promising me so much and it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. I just believe. And then we'll shift to another universe. How horrifying and scary would that be? Oh though? my God. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's going to change after that. And honestly, it seems like things have just gotten worse because now the krill are going to attack. Oh, it just makes me think make Alabar great again. <laughs> I think that's the message. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any other things on that story before we move on to our second one? No, now I'm just thinking about all this other like philosophical stuff. And then I started thinking about red hats that say make Alabar better again. (laughs) And like them just wearing them on the planet's surface. Oh, it's awful. It's still MAGA. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our second story is Heroes. A flashback to five years ago shows Tala in the home of the Akutum family, whose biology is remarkably similar to that of the Zalayans. Aki, the family's child, is reading her the story of Zandia, in which the folk hero stands up for her people against their suppressors. In present day, 
The Orville detects a quantum reactor on the Akutum planet's surface, so an away team of Ed, Tala, John, and Claire go to investigate. They discover that the Naz, another alien race, has invaded and enslaved a village of Akutum to mine the Dysonium that's within their planet. Tala reconnects with Aki, who's now grown up and explains the situation to them. Ed contacts Admiral Perry, who informs him that there's nothing they can do because the Naz nor the Akutum are a part of the Union. Frustrated with this outcome, Tala asks for a few days' leave and if Claire and John can join her. Playing ignorant, Ed grants her request. After constructing a costume from Mocklin body armor and a sword from a piece of hull plating, Tala dresses up like Xandia and uses her superior Zelayan strength to frighten the Naz and threaten their foreman to try to make them leave the planet. The Naz respond by breaking into Aki's home and killing her parents. They capture Tala and string her up on an engine exhaust pipe, but are interrupted when Aki, now also dressed as Zandia, appears and beheads the foreman. This act is enough to finally scare the Naz away. Tala and the away team also leave, fearing they are responsible for Aki's murderous turn. Before we jump into the story, we're going to do a tiny bit of trivia about this episode of uh, the Orville. It's not an episode. It feels like episodes. <laughs> so I'm going to call it that. All the Okudam clothing was based on African styles. The Nas clothing and weapons were based on French and Spanish uniforms from the 18th century, especially the soldiers depicted in the television series Zorro. When designing Ed, John, Tala, and Claire's clothing for the planet's surface, Kabiza made them blue, light orange, red, and blue-green, respectively, to subtly remind readers of their planetary union uniforms. The second issue of Heroes is the only time in an official Orville release that the main characters Ed Mercer, Kelly Grayson, Bordis, and Isaac do not appear. That's interesting. Wait, Ed's in it? Uh, in the second issue, none of them appear. Oh, the so the first issue. half okay. of the story they do, but the second half they do not. I love that this was all about Tala because we don't know a lot about her. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, yes, we're getting more of like the meat with her as like the lead of all of this. Yeah, I was really excited for that, too. So what do we think about this story going in? I liked with both of these that they have the kind of flashback flash forward stuff. Mm -hmm. And I get so excited seeing other crews and like other Orville class ships because they had like Tala five years ago or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, who are those captains? <laughs> and like, I don't know. That stuff is always cool to me. She was a mere ensign in the beginning of this. Mm -hmm. As was Ed in the previous flashback. I know. I did find it interesting that both stories did start with a flashback and they both have a transition that uses the concept of similar placement with characters mm -hmm. to jump from the past to the present. So like in the first one, we had Ed's head and then his head in almost the exact same look and position with a different hairstyle. In this one, yeah. we had the captain and commander just being switched from Tala's past ones to Ed and Kelly. It does seem like these aren't just like thrown together. They actually take a lot of care in putting these stories together, mm -hmm. which I appreciate. And I think it shows. Yeah, there's definitely some thematic connections between these two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One thing I feel was interesting is in the beginning, it was very much like they were going to leave this colony, the Union, and just kind of like not bother them with technology or anything. And they come back and the Nas are just like, here's our giant mining equipment. <laughs> They're awful. I do not like them. I don't enjoy the Nas. They're terrible. I think that's the impression we're supposed to take away. I know, and that's the impression that I took away from It'd that. It'd be pretty sad if someone was just like, yeah, I love those guys. <laughs> Oppressed. 
They're literally enslaving the population yeah. and making them mine disonium, which is hurting and poisoning the people. Mm-hmm. And they have like no control over it. They have no way to defend themselves. It's awful. Yeah, they're way too primitive compared to the Nas. The Nas kind of look to me, there's a race in the Star Wars movies. I had to look it up. It's like the Solistan or Solustan or something. Are you thinking of the dude who is Lando's co-pilot? Yeah. And they're like, uh, boop, 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 yep. boop. like that's kind of his voice <laughs> totally. sounds. But it's like a mix of that and bulldog bats. Yes. Bulldog bats, in which, yeah. in which that's also a mix. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm just checking. Bulldog bats are not a character race from <laughs> no, Star no, Wars. No, 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 okay. no, no. <laughs> I didn't know it was a deep cut, like the bulldog bats. <laughs> yeah, totally. They do look like bulldog bats without the wings. Mm-hmm. I just like that they show back up and the girl, the little girl from the beginning mm-hmm. is like grown up now and still recognizes Tala, yeah. which is pretty cool. And it's only been five years, but Tala must have made an impression when she was there. Mm-hmm. I'm still really curious as to what their links are to maybe Zelayan culture, though. That was never really answered. We still don't know why they have such similarities and how they look and but no, no similarities in the, how their cultures are. It's just why do they look the same? They touched on it very briefly, but kind of skimmed over it, suggesting that maybe there was some sort of like genetic spreading of some sort. Yeah, I think I just wanted to know more because yeah. I'm like, they just there's so many questions to be had with that. It is interesting if they are essentially of the same biology and then Zelayan's atmosphere has forced them to evolve into a a place that they can withstand it and get stronger. Whereas if they were on a different planet, they potentially would just not develop that. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting, too, that the foreman guy picked up on that Mm -hmm. and just kind of called her out like, no, you're not special. This is all that's going on. I know you're lying and you're not going to kill me. And he totally calls her bluff. And that was exciting. It's a spin on it because it's not the way you think it would go where he's like, I'm afraid of this new fighter. It's just a fresh take Mm -hmm. on something that could have been a trope. So I appreciate they didn't go that route. There are a few points in this issue where Tala uses her strength not just to lift people and throw them around and stuff, but it would make sense that for someone that strong on a planet of lesser gravity that she can leap like the Hulk. And she does it a couple times in this. And I'm like, I want to see that in a live action episode (laughs) so bad. At first, I was like, wait, how is she able to do that? But in a way, Zelayans are kind of superheroes, so Mm -hmm. it fits pretty well. It combined, like, now that we're in a comic book, it combined the Orville with, like, what felt like a superhero comic as well. Yeah, kind of leaning into the medium that they're presenting this story in. Yeah, kind of like an homage to, like, hey, we're doing this and there's a superhero now. Yeah, I noticed in this story along with that, I think it's the very end of the first part, the very beginning of the second part. We're the only examples in these two stories of, like, a full page panel. Mm. And it was kind of the reveal of Zandia and doing kind of the superhero like up on the roof and I'm watching over Gotham and all that (laughs) kind of stuff. And then she like jumps down in the next one and we see the bullets ricocheting off and everything in a very action pose. Yeah, that was pretty cool. A couple things that bumped me really quick in this. One of the NAS officers makes a bit of a logic leap and guessing who Zandia really is and saying like, oh, that that person who yelled at me by the well, that's her. <laughs> Just like I was like, wait, what? 
What are you basing that on? Similar body type, maybe? Maybe voice? I don't remember if she had talked at all. I'm wondering how long they've been there, because if they know everybody in the village, that probably makes more sense. But if they're like, if they are slaves, they might not even look at them as individuals and just like bodies that are doing work for them. So I don't think they would notice anyone coming or going necessarily. This reminded me of her sword and suit. Like, did Lamar make it? It seemed like that was implied that he made it. Yeah, he used Mocklin body armor to make the suit and then he used a piece of hull plating to make the sword. So that stuck out to me because I'm like, they didn't synthesize that stuff then. No, no. He did some custom crafting. That's what I was like. Wait, did he like hand make a sword? He might have, which is great. I love it. But that does also make me think of the other thing that kind of stuck out weird. Where did Aki get her costume? Oh, I know it's not armor and it's not a whole blading sword. Like, has Aki been doing cosplay and we just don't know? She just had a Zandia costume laying around. I'm looking it up and maybe because her life kind of sucks. Maybe that was her thing. She just made a Cosset cosplay of this hero of hers because I'm looking at the two costumes now. They are a little different. Yeah. And hers looks a little bit less put together, Mm -hmm. but she's got like gloves and stuff. And that's not something you just have laying around. Right. And it does fit her style a little bit more. She's wearing like a midriff shirt for most of the issue. Mm -hmm. And her costume differs from Tala's in that way, too. Like, she has a midriff going on on hers. Yeah, hers doesn't look like it has any armor on it. Oh, no. It just... Probably not. Yeah. I think when she uh, just totally shanked the foreman guy, Yeah, I was like, I think... I couldn't remember, but I was kind of like, I think that's the most, like, violent graphic thing that I could recall for the show, but I don't remember for sure. I would say the only thing that matches that's definitely more graphic because we see it actually happen. The only thing that stands out to me on a fairly similar level is when Clyden wanted a divorce and stabbed Bordas. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, why is the divorce? (laughs) (laughs) I know I was going, well, I guess, yeah, divorce hits us all differently. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not always violent, but it is when it's (laughs) Mocklin. One of the things that was sad at the end is Aki just kind of goes, we don't need you anymore to Tala. Like, that's a little bit heartbreaking. And that's because Aki's parents were killed. Yeah. Yeah. They got fully murdered. Yeah. Do we think that Aki blames Tala for her parents' death? Oh, definitely. Yes. I also go, that's kind of a leap, too, because they did... Well, it's not, maybe it's not a Maybe it's a very small village and they just saw her hanging out with this new person for, I don't know. There's a few logic leaps. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's the one of, hey, that's probably Zandia, that new girl. And then it's also, I saw her hug somebody. Let's go to mm-hmm. her house. She knows her. The oh. Nas also don't seem that intelligent. It seems like their leader was the most intelligent one. And the others were just kind of like muscle. Agreed. So maybe they're just kind of not that smart and just went, hey, maybe this house has something. But like they just killed the parents. That was not a smart move for them. Like they needed more information. Like they just killed the parents. Those are also two workers that would go in the mines for them. True. And they're trying to find out where this person who's being Zandia is. If you kill the people who you're trying to figure it out from, that's probably not the best move. Maybe they're just not all that smart. Maybe they're just going door to door and killing everybody. Do you know who she is? No, shoot. 
That is sad, though, when they showed her parents laying on the ground, just like, I'm like, oh, maybe they're going to get back up. No, they're, they they had smoke coming out of their chest. So they're definitely uh, dead. And I wouldn't blame her that she's like, get out. I don't want you here anymore. If she was yeah. still a kid, I would have been like, Batman stuff. <laughs> oh, well, she is kind of a kid, right? She can't be that old. Teenager, maybe? She's probably a teenager, yeah. Just a little older Batman. A little older Batman stuff, yeah. Except now she's going on a murderous rampage. If your parents die yeah. when you're a teenager, you start killing people. If they die when you're like eight, apparently you just <laughs> want vengeance. Really injure them. Yeah. I've watched Mark play Batman games and just literally, he's like, I don't kill anybody. The way that he... <laughs> Batman kicks some butt. I'm sorry. There are people getting injured. Oh, he's maiming people for life. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not, not like dead. some people are not. They're not. <laughs> some people are not walking yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just saying like Batman, maybe get off your high horse a little bit. They're not dead. But let's just say that Wayne Enterprises is seeing a stock market rise in their wheelchair department. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Batman is literally I don't know I, I get upset because I'm like they say he doesn't kill anybody but like he is doing other things that I'm like would death almost be kinder <laughs> perhaps uh, so Aki is essentially if Batman murdered people yeah kind of mm-hmm. one thing that I thought was interesting was it kind of like reminded me of that episode where Tala sort of has the thing with that Mocklin, and I mm. it's been a while since I watched it, but it gives me the impression of just Tala has a very big heart and you know is kind of like, no, this is the way things should be, and wants to make things right, but sometimes maybe gets involved a little too mm. much. And you know, I'm curious if that's gonna be a trend for her going forward or if just happen again this one time or what yeah if they're doing anything right by the character with that story and this one it's giving us every reason why tala would be in security she just wants to protect people yeah i did appreciate that the comics stuck so true to the characters so it did feel like this is how tala would handle this and being like yeah you can just go I don't know what you're going to do on your trip, but I hope it's good. I'm just like, it's very true to how each of these characters would react to something like this. I was a big fan of the table smashing scene, personally. (laughs) Yes. I forget sometimes that Zelayans are like super strong. Mm -hmm. And so I I mean, she was obviously upset because it was like the union was essentially being like, not our problem, which is kind of awful because I'm like, they stuck. I know it's a weapon, but they kind of stuck their nose in um, yeah. uh, the last episode. So or the last story. So it's just that's what I'm saying. A little gray area every now and then because they contacted a different admiral. That's all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, they, if they spoke to the last admiral, maybe they would have gotten the go ahead. Exactly. The only other kind of comic book thing that in looking at all the books, there wasn't a lot of use of sound effects, which I'm happy about. I think sometimes it's like you'll have a good story and then it'll be like, bam, and you, okay, well, I could have gotten that from just (laughs) the visual. But one of the things that made me laugh was I counted and there's whoosh, crack, mm, and then, of course, the last one was stump, which was the sound (laughs) of the four men getting decapitated. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Stump. Mm -hmm. That's what it sounds like, right? Stump. Yeah, all the people I've decapitated. Sure. Wow. <laughs> Mark has never decapitated anyone. And disclaimer. I feel like disclaimer. disclaimer. <laughs> so any uh, final things about this story? And and also, like, 
What do we think this story is saying? What is the message of it? Again, it's like one of those philosophical questions like, should Tala have gotten involved? Did she help or did she make things worse? Was it at the end of the day worth it Mm -hmm. to get involved? Or was was it kind of like a rash way to hopefully help this situation? Like, was it truly smart to be like, I'm going to become this childhood hero that's from a myth book and just see how, you know, and I'm, I'm going to take, I'm going to scare all these, these nas away. And it's just like, well, is that really realistic? Mm. Or is that just kind of like a vigilante mission? It is a vigilante mission, but I think her rationale for using the costume was so that it couldn't go back to being pinned on the union. Yeah, I thought about like if it ever got back to the union, they'd be like these three on a vacation and there would be a whole court case. Mm -hmm. They would get kicked out of the union. Yeah, if you notice, the others stay out of sight for most of everything. Yeah. Also, because this whole civilization doesn't have a lot of technology, there's not a lot of repercussions that could come from it. Who are they going to talk to? I mean, it's a creative solution, but it's not really a solution. Creative idea. That got some people killed. Yeah. Maybe she should have just killed the foreman. Maybe. But then what What would have that message been? She doesn't put up with any crap. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm this the protector of this, you know, but maybe the parents would still be alive. I maybe. guess. I, I don't know. I felt this one was even more of an abrupt ending than the last one because it just shifted so fast to like. All right, we're doing like the whole vigilante justice thing. And then, oh, my God, you have a. Oh, my God, you cut his head off. <laughs> In a way, I felt like this one tied it up a little bit better because it's like her parents just died. Mm -hmm. She's probably not going to deal with this anymore. She's just going to get her revenge and take back her community because in a way, what does she have to live for anymore? Yeah, that's really dark. But that's kind of how I felt. So I think it was sad, but a very poignant way, another realist way of doing it where she's just like, you're not needed here anymore. It ended up feeling a lot more dark than I was expecting. And maybe that just blindsided me to where I was like, oh, no, this is not where I wanted <laughs> this to go. But it, that might have been my issue is that it just didn't go where I necessarily wanted it to go. But I guess if I'm pulling anything out of it, it would be that the best intentions still have repercussions that you're not going to see. And you got to deal with those, too. I will credit Tala with saying, OK, I got in there with a costume. I have to stay now. I made this choice. I'm going to own it. Yeah. And then it just didn't end up playing out that way. It ended up going another direction that I was not expecting. Same. I also like the way they ended this part of the book with Tala saying, an old book the captain gave me said that there are no heroes, that in life the monsters win. And that I thought was a very like, oh my God, way to end it. But I was like, it's kind of, again... They keep things real based like they're in, in the future with all this future tech and sci-fi and all that. But it's still very, there's still a lot of same problems. And even with all that, it didn't solve everything. Because, I mean, sadly, I think it's, it's, it's an us problem, not the things that surround us. Mm-hmm. This was just the first result I had. But I looked that up and that comes from Game of Thrones. It does. And that's the old book. But it's not old because we're not in the future. <laughs> Well, I didn't know it was from Game of Thrones, but it was still very poignant. And I was like, well, it still applies to like, well, it's a little less impactful because it came from George R.R. Martin. But, you know, (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) Any other thoughts on this one? I don't think so. so. Okay. well, this is the end of another wonderful episode of Quantum Drive. We will be back in the future with more stuff for you, of course. In the meantime... 
I do suggest checking out some of the other podcasts on the Geek Generation Network, which you can get by going to thegeekgeneration.com slash network. Katie, I don't think you had started another one last time we did this. No, in the meantime, to fill my podcast void, I started a podcast called Katie Hasn't Seen That, which is on the Geek Generation Network, too. And I watch all the movies that everyone has told me to watch that I haven't seen yet, like Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction and like movies people have seen by now. Um, And I'm watching them and I'm reviewing them. So go listen to that podcast. That is a passion project of mine. And um, I have a lot of thoughts on a lot of movies now. There's like We're on episode like 28 now. Yeah. Oh, you have some too, Rob, that you are on, aren't you? Some other podcasts? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Mainly this one. My main podcast I have running right now is our Patreon exclusive podcast, which is Random Movie Club. It used to be a public mm-hmm. podcast. And then I said, I can't afford to do this for free anymore. So now that's over on thegeekgeneration.com slash Patreon. So it's another movie podcast, but it's a different one that I do with my friend Captain Howdy. And uh, we're Mm -hmm. going through some of the movies that we like and we love and some ones that we thought we loved, but we haven't watched in a while. And it turns out they don't hold up the way we thought they did. (laughs) Oh, no. There's a lot of movies that do that. You're like, I love this. It's my favorite. And then you put it on. You're like, oh, no, this did not. This did not hold up in the way that I thought it would. Yep. Sometimes nostalgia can't save anything. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you, Mark, once again for joining us for this episode. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. Can we find you anywhere, Mark? You can find me uh, on Katie Peters Plays on all of and play Katie Play on all of her stuff. I'm usually there somewhere hiding in the back. Nailed it. (laughs) Yep. And well, I will. Okay, I will say that I sing the intro on Katie's podcast. Oh, that's true. That is true. That's something. That's all I got. People love the song, Mark. People come up and they're like, I was just singing. Katie hasn't seen that intro today (laughs) while I was at the grocery store. And I was like, that's the ultimate compliment. Thank you for telling me that. That's great. Well, that is it then for now. We'll hopefully be back with something soon in the future. And if not, we will see you for season three. Yes! Quantum Drive is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Twitch at KatiePetersPlays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in, in the, the future. future.